This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Whether you want to place a trade on Twitter or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your favorite platforms and devices. See what's new at tdameritrade.com/innovation. It's Tuesday, September 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We are going to look back 10 years ago at the financial crisis. And yes, we're also going to talk about Hurricane Florence. Um, let's start, though, with Casey's General Store. Um, good first quarter report for Casey's General. Um, profits looked good, the stock up 8%. I don't know if if Ron Gross would say they're firing on all cylinders, but this certainly seemed like an all-around really good report for them. It's a good report. Uh, you know, when you look at the stock movement, eight percent today, and uh, you you need to sort of take a step back and look at the other places that it's been. The stock is even after today's rise is still below where it's been in uh, chunks of the last two years. It had sort of bottomed out. Around May of this year, uh, in the mid to low 90s, and now it's up at 125. So a nice run since then. But what they're sort of what they've achieved today in their report, I think, is to sort of show that this uh, productivity uh, improvement model uh, that they've adopted is is beginning to find some traction, and uh, combined with Decent uh, same store sales, buying back some shares, uh, opening some stores, doing a little bit of everything right. Uh, that's uh, resulted in eight percent today. This is a retailer which is concentrated in the Midwest, and I'm curious if the growth opportunity. Um, I guess I'm wondering how big is the growth growth opportunity for Casey's General because it seems like. Often is the case, and I'm not saying it's necessarily the case with Casey's, but often is the case we see retailers expanding a little too fast, and it ends up hurting their results. Um, do you think they've got sort of the location footprint that they need to be successful, or is is there further growth from here? Uh, there's further growth. There isn't rapid further growth. So if you're used to dealing with what really qualify as growth stocks these days, things that you're seeing grow. 20, 30, 40 percent. And you talk about stocks that qualify on that all the time on the show. This is not that. So they've got about 2,000 stores open, 2,073 at the beginning of the quarter, 2,085 at the end. They opened up 15, closed a few, so net 12. For the quarter, that's consistent with what they see. For 2019, where they're going to sort of acquire about 20, open about 60, that's 80. So, you know, about 3 4% store growth. That's pretty manageable. Uh, that's, that's the plan. And uh, that's a combination of new places and taking over competition that's a little bit less, uh, you know, well run than, than Casey's is. I was saying earlier today, we have an investing event coming up next month in Denver. We're going to do a podcast listener meetup in Denver at the end of October, so more details coming on that. Selfishly, I'm really hoping we have an event in 2019 in the Midwest part of our country so that I have a really easy excuse to get to a Casey's General store and also hit up a Culver's. What should listeners bring to you at this meetup? Uh, nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, nothing. If if you're in the Denver area and and it, a good joke, perhaps. No, just 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 bring yourself a handmade card. <laughs> no, not a handmade card. <laughs> You'd appreciate that. Uh, yeah, be a first. Yeah, but there's not ever gotten a handmade card from from a listener, grateful uh, listener. Only from my children, I think. Yeah, no, they're great when you come across them. You know, you put them aside for a while, and then uh, you find them, and like, this is better than any present that I would have actually been given. Often is the you case, know, from, particularly yeah, with my children. Yeah, it's not like they're giving you a whole lot of, of things that they've paid for. So the handmade card, and this is why I'm recommending that uh, grateful listeners can get a lot of mileage by pr- providing one to you. Wow, we may we, we may have to, uh, and by we I mean I may have to employ producer Dan Boyd to do some rare editing <laughs> on this episode and just cut that right out. Um, as you and I speak, Hurricane Florence continues to barrel her way towards uh, the Carolinas, and uh, I'm I'm curious um, because obviously for where we are, we're in Northern Virginia. Um, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and Maryland, the governors of those four states have all declared uh, a state of emergency. Um, it's going to be far less damaging for us where we are than it's going to be for people, certainly on like the Outer Banks of North Carolina, where they've already started to be evacuated. But I'm thinking right now primarily of uh, listeners who are in the 46 other states, and for that matter, other countries. Uh, because Look, there are going to be natural disasters. There are going to be hurricanes. Florence is coming now. Um, it's going to be another named hurricane in the future. So, uh, why not try and make a little money off of Florence? When when I think about hurricane stocks, the first two to leap to mind are Home Depot and Lowe's. Those seem like the obvious choices because damage is going to be done and stuff's got to get fixed. Yeah, and I guess I would say that I don't look at this or try to address this from the perspective of how do I make money off of this hurricane and hopefully what will not be a tragedy in terms of human life, but damage to property. There's there's enough warning that hopefully people are receiving it and getting out of the way. But the property won't get out of the way, and some of it's going to be destroyed. Uh, or damaged in other ways, and so how does that? How does the American economy replace that, and who gets that opportunity? And uh, in particular, I guess I would say, you know, look at it over the long term. You know, how do you? How do you think uh, things are changing? If you believe that rising ocean temperatures uh, are related to Stronger hurricanes uh, and possibly more frequent ones, then there may be a reason to take a long-term view on what what is in the path of being able to serve uh, the economy uh, after the increasing damage uh, that may be on the way. And to that point, Home Depot is an obvious one, and Lowe's as well, and they they get a lot of the headlines at times like this. Some of the other things you can look at, um, and I'm uh, looking at it in particular because we own a few logistics companies, but the the freight and and logistics companies that are being employed by people that have to move product get out of the way for one thing. You, know, you got to move product, you know, from Florida to Maine, and they were going to be driving through North and South Carolina, and they've they've got a schedule and they've got to do that. Well, no, they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to get that product. To the final destination in other ways, and companies like 
XPO Logistics, C.H. Uh, Robinson, uh, they're, they're benefiting, and then the, the straight uh, truck companies. There's a lot of increased price already. Its uh, capacity is very tight in the trucking industry, and Old Dominion um, and uh, J.B. Hunt, there are other companies that are making greater profits already uh, prior to the storm off of just the increased freight prices. So, that's a thing to look at. And uh, look, freight trucking, highly cyclical. Uh, don't uh, don't put too much money in something because it, it has a good quarter. Even if these things have uh, a little incremental business from uh, the disruption here, uh, recall that they're highly cyclical industries. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Eric in Pennsylvania who writes I love camping, and Thor Industries produces great equipment. They have slumped recently. What are your thoughts on picking up some shares now? Earlier this year, uh, beginning of this year, Thor Industries was up around like 155, and it has definitely pulled back. It's, it's around 95 today. Yeah, a couple things, and I'll tie this into the uh, hurricane issue as well. Now, Thor is something that we own, and it was one of the top holdings in the um, small and mid cap growth fund that uh, I help manage with Charlie Travers, and is is something we've owned for a long time and has made a lot of money for investors over the last uh, six seven years, and uh, a lot less so this year. In fact, it's the worst performing. Company that we own in in that portfolio uh, down 34 percent for the year. Now, why is that? Uh, one, more than anything, it's because of the tariffs. The the steel and aluminum tariffs, 25 percent uh, hikes in that. Um, this has has really landed upon uh, the RV industry. They're still at record high sales uh, for units. And they're having a good year as an industry, and they're benefiting from the tax cuts. But the margins uh, have really been impacted by this. And it, not to the extent that they're not still making record profits. Thor is making record profits this year, and the suppliers like LCI, Patrick Industries also. Uh, but they're not making the profits that they were expecting to make at the beginning of the year before the tariffs were implemented. So that is. Most of what explains uh, the the stock price. Uh, additionally, the growth in the industry is not at the pace that it was last year. Uh, it, it's again, it's at record high for units, but it's growing eh, more like five to seven percent over last year's record high, rather than the. 10, 15, 20 percent that it was growing in the, in the previous two years. All of which is to say that my, uh, you know, guidance on Thor, which I won't give, would be biased by the fact that we own it in the fund. Um, but we've also owned it for seven years, and we're expect to own it for a lot longer. Great name too. You know why it's named Thor? Uh, for the god of thunder? No. Oh. No. Is there another Thor? The founders, uh, I, I hope I have the right, the, were, are, are named Thompson and uh, Orthwine, I think. So it's the first two letters of Thompson and the first two letters of Orthwine. They might want to consider telling people it's named for the God of Thunder. I think they let people assume that. Yeah, and, and, you know, they, they got there in their own creative way. And uh, yes, it's a better name than Thompson Orthwine would have been. Yeah, no, definitely. 
Well done, guys. Uh, quick shout out to TD Ameritrade. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms you carry and use every day. I should know. I've been a customer of TD Ameritrade for close to 20 years now. And now, all you have to do to uh, is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa, or you can message them on Facebook. You can do either of those things to stay on top of the markets. And you can learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. Also, if you've got a smart speaker at home, you can catch any of the Motley Fool's podcasts, as well as our daily flash briefing, if you just enable that as well. Um, one more email, this time from Rick Grazer, who asks, in light of the recent news about wages increasing, is this a good time to buy tips? Do you have any comments on tips in general for those who are already required tips, uh, Treasury inflation-protected securities? Are you a fan of tips? Yeah, I am in in the right. Uh, you know, they're not going to provide you a lot of return, but they're very uh, risk friendly. Uh, incorporating as they do the effects of inflation, uh, they are uh, they'll they'll give you a fairly predictable return. Uh, you know, and and are adjusted by by inflation, so you really know what you're going to get. With tips more than almost any other instrument, other than I don't know a, a CD or so. CDs can be affected heavily by inflation. So, inflation is picking up. Uh, I would expect it to continue to do so, um, not to any hugely dramatic extent. Maybe that's just hope talking there, because uh, really dramatic increase in inflation would be bad for a lot of things and. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but they're they're not going to return a lot of money, but they're they're going to protect you if inflation does get bad. Predictable, very predictable. No, if you, if you're someone who does not like surprises, tips might be for you. Yes, um, there was a moment of silence this morning at the New York Stock Exchange in honor of the victims of 9/11. Um, also, one of the things that we've seen recently um, are. And you and I were chatting about this this morning. Um, stories coming out uh, over the last week or so, um, because this is the 10-year anniversary of the the beginning of the financial crisis uh, with the collapse of Lehman uh, and all that uh, sort of thing. When you think back on that time, what stands out to you? What stands out to me is that I was making the transition from being on the writing side of this company to starting the asset management company. And boy, was it a great time to get out of doing anything except on paper. Uh, you know, I, I mean the good timing by you. It, well, it wasn't really by me. It was just it was kind of required that we make this transition and and be separated from the uh, newsletter side of the business in time to uh, be ready for actual uh, mutual fund management. And because of because in part because of what happened in September and October, the paperwork that we had in place. Uh, kind of got uh, shoved back in toward the back of the pile, and we did not get the approvals uh, that that are necessary uh, to open the fund until June of 2009. So we had a lot of time where we were just doing what we would do for real, but doing it 
on paper. There is a paper portfolio uh, going for a while, and so if you lost, you know, seven nine percent of your paper portfolio in a week, that that was not as painful. As losing a real, as, as actually, as losing, actually losing that money, and, and it's not as painful as being a newsletter advisor and having to help people with what was going on in the market, which is a very challenging job for everybody who who had it at that time. To not this was a, sort of a new experience, even if you'd been through the dot com bubble. Uh, which many many of us had and had you know in the, in this job, but this was a different animal, and uh, things were moving uh, in crazy ways every day. They really were, and I, at that time we we didn't have a, a podcast, and uh, I was uh, in the role that Allison Southwick does now. I was doing media relations and, and PR and that sort of thing, and I remember. It was either the first or second day that the that the market was really starting to tank. I remember an impromptu meeting, and I think you were in the room for that. I think it was you, me, Bill Mann. I think Tim Hansen was in that as well. But there were a few of us who were really trying to get a grip on what was actually happening. And as you said, you and I had both been through the dot com and era, and at that point, it was. I don't. I don't want to say it's, you get what you deserve, but it, in a lot of cases with the dot com era, there were companies that didn't really have a great business plan. You know, they, it, it was not the underpinnings of the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just sort of like, oh, here's this fly by night dot com company. They didn't really have a business plan. They're going south, and so be it. Whereas this was this cascading <laughs> ripple effect with the banks. That was just um, as it unfolded. It was. I remember at some point a few weeks in, thinking to myself, "How much worse is this going to get?" Because it seems like it's going to get worse, and uh, and it did. Yeah, yeah. It spent a long time getting worse, and it was uh, tough times for a lot of people. And you know, we finally got the fund started in June of 2009, which was a great time. To have as your starting point, you know, March would have been even better, but June was pretty good. And so, when I'm talking to people, we got started in 2009. They say, "Oh, you were really smart," or you know, that was a good. It's just we would have started in the fall of 2008 if we had had the paperwork approved. No, uh, we're not smart. We kind of <laughs> just got lucky with the timing. <laughs> we got very lucky, uh, you know. And then the Madoff stuff came up, and that. Increased the sort of the waiting time we had. I think the SEC got that much more cautious about the paperwork that was in front of them, and so there were a lot of things that affected uh, what we were up to, and, and really prevented us from being able to get started on what we wanted to do. But uh, you know, you you had a lot more to do, like placing people on media. So there was that, and then the other thing I remember about uh, the fall of 2008 is uh, David and Tom Gardner had a new book coming out in a few months entitled The Million Dollar Portfolio. And we had just, um, I want to say at the end of August, we had just gotten the initial proofs back. So, you know, it's a hardcover book, but the initial proofs are in paperback. And we still have, I think we still have a few 
copies of the initial proofs. I think I wrote a chapter of that. Uh, yeah, you did work on that, uh, as did Bill Mann, as I think did Tim Hansen. There was a, a lot of people worked on that. Yeah, one, yeah. and um, <laughs> what I remember about that book was um, we had to go back to the publisher and say, we need to change, <laughs> we need a new opening chapter to address what's happening in the market right now, and we need to change the subtitle. And I don't remember off the top of my head what the subtitle used to, what the original subtitle was. I think it was, you know, it was the managing money at a booming time or whatever. No, it was. I think it was like, the, you know, the Motley Fool million dollar portfolio, and the subtitle was something like, you know, um, uh, how, something about growing your own seven-figure portfolio, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what the resulting uh, subtitle ended up being was, how to build and grow a panic-proof investment portfolio. Because coming out with a new book, um, I think it was January of 2009, maybe that first week, it was either December 08 or January 09. whenever it came out, it was very important to be able to speak to what was happening in the market at the at the moment, um, and uh, we were able to make that work. Uh, but yeah, there must have been a lot of work from the, the media requests for people to to show up and, oh, yeah. and be on everybody Absolutely. everybody's show. Absolutely, yeah. No, it was uh, it was a crazy time. But uh, as we've said before, that's why there's coffee. <laughs> Bill Barker you said that. <laughs> yeah, we always say that. That's why there's coffee. Uh, you can read more from Bill Barker, Charlie Travers, and the whole crew at Motley Fool Asset Management. Just go to foolfunds.com. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>